get ready to go well glad to have everybody with us uh, this evening on the gideon warrior network i do want to take a minute maybe to remind and and i get reminded of it that i'm remiss in doing that on some of these audios so that people can know but you are listening to the gideon warrior radio network here on the talk show and you can simply do that by going to talk show or telling anybody else and tell them to type in the keyword gideon warrior network and it's all one word you can find us there and also remember that uh, um, you can email me at gideonelite at protonmail.com gideonelite at protonmail.com and we do thank you for listening and those that are listening to the archives um i was reviewing some of the stats uh here recently and we've had a quite um a bump out of ireland in the past um well i guess since 2022 would probably be a, a good way to put it so um you know we're on different times and uh, different time frames from from our european brethren and so forth and um we know they're there and uh, there's a lot of good folks doing a lot of good work with uh, their own podcasts and, and their own ways of trying to reach and get out information. So we just give praise and glory to the Heavenly Father for all of those individuals asking that he continue to bless and favor them and that he remember us as a remnant, a faithful remnant um, in, in, in that great and glorious day. Uh, when he determines it's necessary to bring about a great destruction um, that his remnant might once again um, remember him in truth and in spirit. So glad that everybody's with us. Now, I am going to get underway with what we were dealing with last week, and I'm, I pretty much titled it uh, Racial Exclusivity or biblical racial exclusivity. And I'm going to blame it all on Russell, as I did last week, that uh, because of Russell's statement that said God is a racist, it really prompted me and I felt really led that we needed to really elaborate on that at this time. And uh so we'll let part one stand on its own, basically. I won't review it uh, very much at all in terms of, you know, trying to recap anything there. But what I'm going to do is start right out of the box with a very important question that I think those of you professing Christian, our Christian brethren, you just ask a Jew who professes to be a Jew. And any of you listening to the archives and listening here this evening, ask your Christian brother, where in scripture is it written? God deals only with Jews. Now, if there is an intention to say they are Judahites, if they could actually claim an ounce of Israelite blood, which many can because of their intermixing with Israelite blood. The answer, of course, to that question is they can't. 
end of issue. No more Jews on pedestals, period. I think that is the end of the story, end of the matter. And this is really what we have to start doing is we have to hit back with the right pieces of information and stand upon the rock and the promise and the word. And it doesn't matter what they intend to say, try to say, will say, or have said, because it's the truth. And you can ask where in scripture it's written that God deals only with Jews. The answer is the Christian can't, you can't, end of issue. So, as I say, no more Jews on pedestals. And in the face of that fact, the Christians, however, they will twist and contort a number of scriptures in an intention to do it for them, including the Great Commission as it's called. We're going to go to that Great Commission as it's recorded in Mark 16, 14 to 16 to begin and then travel through the biblical record to continue to espouse the truth about the racial exclusivity in the biblical record so that there's no mistaking it and there's no denying it, no matter how the church world might intend to spin it. Mark 16, we're gonna begin at verse 14. Afterward, he appeared unto the 11, as they sat at me. Jesus has just risen from the dead. He has been seen of the two Marys. And when Mary Magdalene told them, the disciples, that she'd been with him, uh, well, go on, go up to 16, verse 11. And they that heard that he was alive and had been seen of her believed it not. This has struck me as I've been contemplating on so many things here in the last several months. Now drop down to 16, 14. Afterward, he appeared unto the 11. Keep that in mind. He appeared unto the 11 as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart. Now, Jesus was alive and he raised Lazarus to, from the dead. And wow, wow, go, go get him, Jesus, you're great. Wow, you know, that's a great thing. Now, he himself was in the grave, has been risen from the grave, and they have unbelief. How uncanny can that be? And I don't think we think about that very often. Because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. He says to them, go you into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believes not shall be damned. And these things shall follow them that believe in my name shall they cast out devils they shall speak with new tongues they shall take up serpents and if they drink any deadly thing it shall not hurt them they shall lay hands on the sick 
and they shall recover. There's a, a lot to unpack there, and I'm not really trying to unpack this one, but I want to bring out some very important points. We have to understand in the context of what we've tried to undo with our thinking about revelation, we've tried to learn about its application in that it's already, already a book that was regarding the end of the age prior to 70 AD and up to and including that date and the destruction of the temple. But here he says, the signs shall follow them that believe. Who is he talking to? He is talking to the 11 which had unbelief. And in the proper context, what is going to follow them was they would cast out demoniacs. They would speak with new tongues. And they would take up serpents if necessary, and they would drink any. And if they did drink any deadly thing, it would not hurt them. And laying the hands on the sick. Now, somebody might take issue with this, but what I'm trying to convey is that those were the words spoken of to those 11. If they should believe these were the things that were going to follow them. Now, some might say, well, yes, it's applicable to those also that they would have had a hand at causing them to believe. You could say that. But I don't have any scriptural. Uh, reference to uh, to dissuade me from the clear context of this written part of the commission. So the whole purpose for coming to the commission right now is because this is the very scriptures that they use. This one, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Acts, Acts 8, 1. And you can go to those other uh, scriptures on your own. Um, but it's important that we understand he was upbraiding those 11 in their unbelief and said that those would be signs that would follow them which believed. So in other words, there is yet to be determined in Jesus' words here, which if not all of the 11 would go in belief or unbelief. But the scripture itself about going into all the world um, uh, and preaching the gospel to every creature. Those are the words that the church world loves to use as being that it's all now everybody included. God changed. He dealt with the Israelites in the Old Testament. Now everything's changed. And these are the scriptures that are often used. But the scriptures actually tell us that the first part of this commission began with Old Covenant Judah. We're right here at the end of, of uh, Mark, so we're just simply going to turn into Luke to chapter 24. And verses 44 through 49. 
He said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. This is not insignificant. All things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms. Then he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them, thus it is written and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem, which is the seat of Judah. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I sent the promise of my father upon you, but tarry you in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And that endowment of power from on high was to be the Holy Spirit that they were to receive. And bear in mind, he's telling them to tarry in Jerusalem because he's also told them to flee Jerusalem. Now he's conveying to them the necessity of staying in Jerusalem until that Holy Spirit imbues them. The point again of going to this scripture is the words all, 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 all that are always used. All things must be fulfilled. Let's see, let's see, where am I looking for it? Um, in the name among all nations, among all nations. And so therefore you see the word went out to every nation and every people and so forth. And so these are often the ones that they use. Turn now back to Matthew chapter 10. And I'm going to go to verse, um, uh, yeah, we'll start with five. These 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them saying, go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans enter you not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Drop over to 23 on my book. It's the same page at the bottom. But when they persecute you in this city, flee into another. For verily I say unto you, you shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. So here we have evidence in Scripture that the lost sheep of the house of Israel and the cities wherein they are shall all be reached before the Son of Man comes. And that's very important. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. They're all going to tie together in your mind shortly. Romans chapter 1 and verse uh, 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Judahite first and also to the Greek. And of course, 
it's the epistle of Paul to the Romans, and he's indicating those Grecians living in Rome or in the dominion of Rome, when he says, and also to the Greek. The translation used the word Jew instead of the word Judah. So my purpose is trying to put in your mind and get an understanding of the fact that this racial exclusivity was carried out in this um, great commission or conveyed, if you will, in this great commission to go unto Judah first and then unto the rest of the cities of Israel. Is Jesus confused here? Because the church world has taught us something different. Is he double-minded? And of course, the answer is no, neither. Uh, Jeremiah, I don't know if you're hearing that that noise. Uh, there's a kind of a rustling, and I, this new system here is not showing me um, which one it might be coming from. So, um, can... yeah, it it hasn't showed. The audio is coming from ever since they changed. Okay. Uh, to the new system. Okay. I, I used to see that on my old one. It would it would pop up the prominent one. All right. So anyhow, um, uh, obviously he's not double minded and he's not confused. However, the evidence is. He's still being racially exclusive. And these terms such as all the earth, all nations, uttermost parts of the earth, these are all translations of Hebrew or Greek words. Through And, and they really must be understand through those languages and the biblical meaning and context, not our modern day understanding or interpretation. And that's exactly what happens. Christ's very words at Matthew 10, 5, and 6 that we just read. Didn't we just read 10, 5, and 6? Uh, let me see. We didn't yet, did we? Did we? Um, yeah, I was in 10. Let me, yeah, I yeah, did. You, you okay, did Matthew I just want to make 10, sure. 5, and 23. Yeah. Okay, good. 5 to 6 and 23. His very words at Matthew 10, 5 and 6 specifically excludes going to the way of the Gentiles. But includes going to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Don't miss that. It's a curious thing. What scripture actually says contrasted with what many teach and still many more believe so how do you like those apples there church world we're going to have some fun with this now turn i'm still at matthew so i'm going to turn over to matthew 15 and verse 24 he answered and said i am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
Jesus exclusively said he was not sent to any other, but inclusively said he was sent unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Did you say 15 and 4? 24. So the question is, what people in the biblical record are called a sheep? Turn now to Ezekiel. And I go to 34. Now, I know somebody will probably accuse of, you know, scripture shopping. Um, Anybody who listens to these audios long enough knows that I don't scripture shop. And taking you through the Bible and referring to things is, of course, to accomplish a goal and objective. But you can verify everything. I'm not taking any of it out of context. Ezekiel 34, 30 to 31. Thus shall they know that I, Yahweh, their God, am with them, and that they, even the house of Israel, are my people, says Yahweh. And you, my flock, the flock of my pasture, are men, and I am your God, says Yahweh. You are the flock. You are my people. You are Nothing else is referred to as a flock, but a flock of sheep and maybe a flock of geese. Or <laughs> why do you why I, do you suppose this, they avoid that, Doug? You mean the greater church world? Yes. I, I know. I, I I have the answer to that. The answer is glad you asked. The answer yeah. is because. They are in this one tent and they want everybody to be included. Now, we've said it repeatedly here. None of this means that we are pedestalized being Israelites. Same way the Jews, if they are true Judahites, should be pedestalized. Maybe that's not a word, but in other words, not be put on pedestals. There is no... There is no authority for us to put ourselves on any pedestal because of a claim to our racial heritage or our genetic heritage. So the reason that they do it is because they have bought the the lie, which is the atheist lie, maybe not the atheist, but certainly the you know, the world religions that were, we all worship the same God, you know, um, this mm-hmm. is why we're all under this one big tent. And in order to get us under that one big tent, it has to be universally applicable. Does that make sense? Um, I'm going with control and destroy. Much easier to do okay. if you don't know who you are. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, and that's exactly what's happening, isn't it? Yep, if you don't know who you are, 
you certainly uh, you certainly are are going to have an easier time of taking the heritage or the inheritance away, aren't you? Yeah. Hmm. All right. Now, uh, flip over to Hebrews chapter thirteen. New Testament scripture. And some are now saying that Hebrews was not written by Paul, but, uh, you know, uh, whatever. It's in our canon. Uh, it certainly has uh, a valuable truths in it. Hebrews 13, and let's go to 20 and 21. Now. The God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That great shepherd of the sheep. So he's inclusively the great shepherd but exclusively of all sheep david said in psalm 79:13 inclusively then we your people the exclusive sheep of your pasture We'll thank you forever and ever praising your greatness from generation to generation. That might be confusing when I'm using exclusive. I'm using the word exclusive there so that you can readily recognize David is including we, your people, then excluding all other sheep. So I hope that it doesn't confuse you by saying that, by using exclusive. I'm using that trick that Russell taught me, which is to use the adverse. If there are sheep, then there must be excluded sheep, but not called sheep, those that are excluded. All right, and then Jesus inclusively said, I am the good shepherd, but exclusively said, I know my sheep and they know me, which means some sheep are excluded and others are known of him. Jesus excluded saying, that was John 10, 14, by the way, that scripture. Jesus excluded saying, you believe me not because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So my sheep, excludes other sheep or others not his sheep now turn with me to isaiah chapter 53 and somebody can put a finger in john 10 and we'll go there next isaiah 53 i'm going to go read five and set five to seven but he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way and the lord has laid on him the iniquity 
of us all. And we, we could go on. But those are the primary scriptures pertaining to the sheep. Who's in John chapter 10? If so, go to 10 to 15 and give it to us. Okay, I beat everybody there. Even as the Father I'm knows cold. me, and I, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they shall hear my voice. And they shall become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. That's pretty exclusive, isn't it? It appears to be. He now, says inclusively, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Exclusive of others. Now think about that, Doug. That's the truth. And that is the truth. Our adversary promotes the exact opposite being a lie and when you just said that all I could think of was now I'm not trying to get us off track here all I could think of was the modern day prophet telling us that the economy was good we're just too stupid to know that when you see what I'm saying Jesus is giving us the truth <laughs> But we're told by those in charge, and let's go ahead and include the religious leaders, the exact opposite. He's here for everybody. Every Tom, Dick, and Harry that's on two feet, Jesus came for you. Jesus doesn't hate anybody. I, somebody laid that on me, and I said, yeah, he had a love affair with Charles Manson. And and they go, well, of course he loved Charles Manson. I said, well, then let's go to a basic one. He hated Esau. And they just like slapping him on the face. I said, Old and New Testament. He hated Esau. Yeah. 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 And, and again. I came from Yeah, my and this people. is what's been. My, yeah. Right. And this is what's this is what's so problematic for a lot of people who call themselves, you know, uh, or organize themselves under the banner of of white uh, individuals and call themselves supremacists. Uh, they don't probably call themselves that much as people label them at that and and other groups and stuff have have their heart in an understanding of who they are, but yet have used that understanding in an improper way or have projected it improperly um, as, as to mean that they are somehow different, better, or otherwise. But that was not the purpose of the choosing. That was not the purpose of the racial exclusivity. Turn to Hebrews chapter 8. 
Hebrews chapter 8, we've been here many times, 8.8, 8, for finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days come, says Yahweh, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It doesn't get any more exclusive than that. We have a Bible that has an Old Testament. It really should have rather be Old Covenant. And we have now a New Testament, which really ought to be more properly referred to as the New Covenant. Because this is exactly what he says. For if that first covenant had been faultless, which is the old covenant, the first testament, then should there no place been sought for the second? Second what? Second covenant. For finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days come, says Yahweh, I will make a new covenant. Make a what? A new covenant. This is a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. I remember sitting down at the table with family members and my dad and I came to this scripture and I either he or I began to read this scripture. And I remember saying myself, do we not need to know who the house of Israel and who the house of Judah are in order to understand who this new covenant was with? And I remember the table becoming vacant. Within just you know, minutes, uh, maybe a minute, uh, one by one, everybody got up to get a drink, do this, do that, whatever. And I found myself looking at my dad and I said, what happened? And my dad had this way about him where he just gave this little sheepish shrug of the shoulders. And that was the end of it. So you've got to be experiencing the same things as you go along. And That new covenant was exclusively established right here with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. There's no escaping it. Now, while we're in Hebrews, turn to Hebrews uh, 9, um, 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Now, we've already in the series, Israel, Judah, and Jew, went over specifically a lot of these scriptures to con, uh, completely understand, without a doubt, who these scriptures were written to and that they were written to Israelites. Drop down to verse 15 to 17 from 12, and this is what we find. And for this cause, he is the mediator of a new testament that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressors its mind says transgressions but redemption of the transgressions meaning the transgressors that were under the first testament they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance for where a testament is there must also of necessity be the death of the testator the testament is the will. It's like the last will and testament. And you don't get into the last will and testament unless there is a death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead. 
Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator lived. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. And this testament was also dedicated with blood. The blood of the only begotten son of the father. Turn to, well, let's just remember what we said or what we learned in John 10, 44. He exclusively said, no man can come to me. Well, maybe we didn't. Um, let me go back to that because uh, we weren't in John there probably, 10, 44. And just because I've selected these scriptures, I hope I have that right. I don't think I have that right. Psalm 42, um, chapter. What was that? Did you say John 10? Yeah, I said John 10, 44. I had a, I had a note here for John 10, 44, but it, it appeared as if I don't. Yeah, it drops off at 42. So I made that note, and I in my note I said uh, that we'd reviewed, but now I'm questioning what uh, if I... Let's see, we were in 1014. Was it in 1014 that we read? Uh, and know the, uh, yeah, well, no. Okay, so the scripture, that's all right. The scripture that I was referring to was in the scripture where he exclusively said, no man can come to me except the father which has sent me draw him. Now, somebody can type that in quick and find the proper reference for me, if they will. And because it's not insignificant. Ex Jesus exclusively said that no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. But the church world teaches that a man can come to him and accept him into his own heart. From the most ancient of days, as I revealed last week, men have chosen the gods to whom they wish to worship the God of the Bible who actually chooses whom he will draw to him. And think about that. Isn't that more powerful than any other so-called God of others? Very important. It is. And it struck me a couple of days ago how important that was. And so this evening before I came on, I just typed in, what God do Chinese acknowledge? Top hits, top 10 well-known Chinese gods and goddesses. Yang Wan, number four, Yang Wan, uh, Long Wang, um, Pan Gu, the god of creation, um, uh, Pan Ku or Pan Ku. <laughs> and, and I was just, you know, just for giggles, and, and and again, they choose this God whom they're going to give reverence to. It is so unique of our creator God for him to choose whom he will because it defies all other worship of any other God. And that to me is just profound. 
Absolutely. I was reading a recent article and I don't know if I commented on it to somebody in an email or, or, or maybe in a, in a recent text to somebody, but the comment was about a recent article that I had read where all of these various countries, China, for example, they're getting back to religious tenements, if you will, trying to re-embrace more religious tenements. Uh, India, same way. Um, um, African uh, countries are doing the same thing. And it occurred to me that while Jacob Israel was doing the will of the Father in the creation and doing as he was instructed to do to be a blessing to the world through all that he's done to bless the world with inventions and and um, uh, clean water, all all of the various things that have uh, assisted society in such profound ways. It occurred to me that now all of these nations are shedding the idea about the God of Jacob Israel, which was so prominently displayed and prominently on display by the abundance of the blessings that were evident the world over. And in that context, as I read that article, I thought, yeah, they're going back to their heathen gods. Because we have forsaken our God and turned our backs from him. And those blessings are being withdrawn. And they're actually affecting these other countries as well. I don't know if anybody else believes that or thinks I'm way off base on that. But that's what occurred to me as I read through that article and thought, yeah. I can see why it's happening. So the exclusive biblical concept was the result of what is referred to as the fall or the collapse of the Galilean ministry in Scripture. If you go to John chapter 6, um, let's go to 44. No. 64 64 but there are some of you that believe not for jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him he said therefore i said unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given him of my father from that time i wonder if it was john 6 44 let me just look up to 44 and see yeah, if i wrote it's, that it's down. 644 yeah Bingo, there it is. And uh, so, so, so there we see um, 64 through 67 here. Um, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. It occurred to me that that is what caused the fall or the collapse, as they call it, of the Galilean ministry. He was actually 
speaking of these very exclusive biblical concepts. And I had not considered that until Russell inspired me to this study of racial exclusivity. Uh, flip over I've got a note here for Mark 11 I don't know if that's a parallel scripture or Mark chapter 4 verse 11 if that was a parallel scripture to this or not um, uh, Mark 4 uh, 11 he said unto them unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God but unto them that are without all these things are done in parables that seeing they may see and not perceive and hearing they may hear and not understand lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them this is a again exclusively racial he spoke to some in parables so that they would not know and and maybe i'm incorrect on saying it was exclusively racial i think i am as i correct myself because he was definitely speaking to the judahites but he was excluding them because he did not want them healed and did not want them converted he wanted it destroyed just as he did as he conveyed in the revelation to John. Think about this. The Holy Spirit actually excluded Paul and Silas from going to Asia. Think about that church world. The Holy Spirit excluded Paul and Silas from going to Asia. Can't dispute it in the biblical record. Now, we began with the second or the New Testament or the New Covenant to confirm racial exclusiveness of God. And that it clearly and unmistakably is firmly ensconced in the New Covenant or the New Testament record. So before leaving the racial exclusivity completely, we should probably re-familiarize ourselves with the First Testament or the First Covenant racial exclusivity. and do so with this reminder of Matthew chapter 7 in our mind. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and in your name cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? And I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. And the, uh, the 
word there is anomianism. Anomianism meaning anti-law. You lawlessness. You that work lawlessness or practice lawlessness. And we don't even need to consider all of the political and modern religious and secular reminders of those that may do this, that very, may confess that very statement. So I don't know that we want to go into the First Testament or the uh, Old Testament regarding those racial exclusivities. If I do, it would, you know, take most of the remainder of this uh, last half hour. Um, I could probably wrap it up. Um, I don't know. I still have four pages of notes. But I know for many of us here, we don't need to do that. But the scriptures are certainly worthwhile. So why don't I just recap the scriptures? If you feel like we should go to them, um, you know, say your piece and, and we'll just determine if we've got to do that. Genesis 9.9. 12, 7, 13, 16, 17, 7, 21, 12, 22, 17, and 35, 11. Also, 26, 4, 28, 12, 45, 7, and 48, 4. This all outlines God's inclusive relationship genetically appraised with biblical Jacob, Israel, the descendants of Abraham. Additionally, Numbers 627, Deuteronomy 437, 76, these are all Deuteronomy, 1015, 329, 2 Samuel 723, 1 Chronicles 1613, Psalms 785, Psalms 135, 4, 147, 19 to 20, and Isaiah 41, 8, 44, 1, 45, 25, 65, 9, and 23, and Jeremiah 31, and Amos 2. Just for the naming of a few. Now, to appraise God's relationship with his people along genetic lines simply cannot be escaped, whether from the first covenant record or the second covenant record. In fact, if one's honest with the scriptures, it equally cannot be escaped. Being at enmity with God, regardless of racial exclusiveness, it's not a good status with him. Turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Now, here's where we find Paul intending to have the hearers and the readers of his words understand I'm going to skip through, not to deceive anybody, but to bring the racial exclusivity forward. 
4, verses 1 to 3. What shall we say that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he has something to glory, not before God. For what says the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Dropping down to 13. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of none effect. Because the law works wrath for where there is no law, there is no transgression. It is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Is Paul implying to all the seed is all the world? All people in the world? Are they all the seed of Abraham? You see the contexts. Abraham was the father oh, go ahead. of us. Abraham was the father of us all. Who is he speaking to? He's speaking true. to his people, his race. That is exactly what he's doing. Hey, and just to add, uh, just to add to that, it wasn't just to him because he was obviously the father of Ishmael, but the promise was given um, to the seed from he and Sarah. Um, and that's, that's the promise, right? So that, that, that you know, that's correct. what really tightens it up. And I was, I was just, uh, you know, cause uh, I think there's some things that are at play here and I'll kind of start it just by saying it's reciprocal. So, God um, and, and Jesus said, it said, my my sheep uh, know my voice. You are not my sheep. So therefore, you don't hear my voice when he was talking to the Jews. And so um, when it goes back to uh, the verse that you brought out earlier, it says he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. See, what happens is the church is just picking up from that. Okay. They go in and, and I call it manufactured salvation. So they go in and they go and says, you know, they easy believism or whatever, but they will take this out um, to all the world. Right. And they're mm -hmm. not they're not including the part where it says you can't believe unless you first and, until I first speak to you. Right. And so. 
that's where it goes back to that uh, in Matthew when it's talking, you know, in that day, they'll say, Lord, Lord, did we not? And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. Right. So it goes in, you know, they're they're They've created this in their mind and they've gone through the steps and they've gone through some type of a, of a man-made um, conversion. And it's it's all going to be for naught. It's, it's not there. Right. So that's just kind of the thoughts I had on that. Yeah. Uh, and those are those are adequate fault thoughts as well, because that's exactly what's going on. And so, as I say, can Paul be implying that, you know, everybody, all the men of the world were fathered by Abram? Because the context begins with that. And that's why it's so important always that we try to get the context of what's being said before we start, you know, putting out our soundbite theology and so forth. And there's no way that he could even be implying that they were all from one genetic stock, uh, that all people in in the world came from one genetic stock. And and he certainly doesn't believe that, obviously. And so the answer to that question is he absolutely does not believe it. And that is not what Paul is conveying. So keeping that fact in mind, let's continue in chapter five and right where verse six is. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. And um, I'm going to go on down to 11. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commends his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And remember, if I can interject, everybody that you know out there who is of that same stock and even not of that stock who wants to believe on this God of Jacob Israel, remember that scripture while we were yet sinners as he died for us much more than being now justified by his blood we shall be saved from wrath through him for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to god by the death of his son much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. This is so important. As I said, keep that fact in mind of what Paul had to believe in chapter 4. As you read 5, 6 through 11, because the word reconcile or translated reconcile in our in at least my King James version is number 2644. It's catalasso. The change from enmity to friendship. Decisively changed as applied also in marriage. And it cites 1 Corinthians 711. And we can actually go to that scripture and probably should in, in due time. Paul uses that word to convey just that very thing about the application to marriage in that scripture. 
of 1 Corinthians 7, 11. And this word is also like another Greek word, which is number 1259, which is dia, D-I-A-L-L-A-S-S-O, dialasso, the dia simply meaning through, like um, dialectic, um, that so dia the prefix dia simply meaning through um, or on account of or by reason of so by reason of or a, on account of the the reconciliation to change thoroughly and that's no small incon, insignificant matter uh, if we don't go to it, jot down Matthew 5:24 and Acts 20 verse 4 there. I've, I've made a couple notes on that at that area there. But so contextually, Paul is conveying that the change which occurred was taking away the enmity. Remember us discussing that enmity that we found in the revelation of Christ to John in Revelation. And this is what he's talking about here, taking away the enmity. What was that enmity? Israel was at enmity with God and she was divorced. He did not divorce Judah because he's a God of righteousness. And he said that he would be a God unto Abraham and his seed forever. The only way he could continue to be the God to that seed was to not divorce Judah also. And in his infinite wisdom, mercy and grace, he sent his only begotten son to lay down his life to pay and atone for the sin of Israel. And those Judahites who would also believe and reconcile them, meaning a changed, fully, decisively changed is the definition. Changing from enmity to friendship once again. And that's what Paul is conveying here. They were at enmity that they had with God because of the breaking of the first covenant marriage compact. Turn with me to Romans chapter 9 while we're here in Romans 7 and look at verses 3 through 4. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren. For who? For my brethren. my kinsman according to the flesh and i know i believe that he's speaking deeply in his heart of his own judahite flesh remember paul said i am a judahite of the tribe of benjamin he was a benjamite judah and benjamin stuck to the hip together so when we had the 10 northern tribes we had judah and benjamin in the two southern tribes and i know that in through what he's saying here i have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart i wish i could myself be accursed for my brother 
my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertains the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises. There's your confirmation of exactly whom it is Paul is intending to be addressed by this epistle. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ was the physical blood atonement for Jacob Israel and their sin and their transgression against God via the law, which bound them to him. Before going to probably Ephesians 2, you go there on your own. I want to go to Hebrews 2. For as much then as the children, I'm in 14, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the diabolos, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. That diabolos, by the way, is the law because sin is the transgression of the law and by law comes death. By the transgression of the law comes death. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like to his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. To make, right here again is that word, reconciliation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. That was the physical blood atonement. Just as Hebrews, his epistle to the, the letter to the Hebrews attests. And of course, Hebrews 8, 6 to 8, where the new covenant is established, which we'd already gone over. So atonement for sin is required for reconciliation to occur. The sin which was being atoned for was the transgression of the marriage compact, which others... I should say, which created the enmity. And so other scriptures that we can go to for that in Jeremiah 2, 3, 8, Hebrews 8, 8, and a number of others. But this is what was requiring or necessitating reconciliation. Ephesians. best place to establish the concept completely. Ephesians 2. Yeah. Um, for he's our peace, 14. Who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us? What was the middle wall of partition between them? Israel was divorced and had no access to God. And Judah stood around and said, nah, 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 you guys are out. We are in. 
and we are so smart. S M A T. S M A T. And they found out that they wasn't so smart. They got schnookered. They got taken to the woodshed bid time. He is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments or <clears throat> contained in the ordinances for to make himself of two one man so making peace and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And back to your question, Russell, why do you suppose the churches won't teach this? They can't, they can't tolerate a God who is racially exclusive. Apparently, it's an affront to them. Take Paul's writings and attribute them to others for whom they are unequivocally unattended, and the consequence is again disastrous. It is Israel who is married to God, Jeremiah 3.14 and Isaiah 54.5, and unequivocally confirmed by the revelation of Christ. Let's go there. Revelation. Chapter 19. And verse 17. I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together under the supper of the great dot. Wait a minute. Did I write that down? Nine. I'm sorry. Seven. Seven. There it is. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb is come. Ladies and gentlemen, the marriage of the lamb did not, excuse me, is not yet to occur. This revelation to John by Jesus were explaining the events that were to come. And make no mistake, 19.7, the marriage of the lamb is come and his wife has made himself ready. Herself, I'm sorry. To go to Matthew 22.2, and 25 10, 2 Corinthians 11 2, and Ephesians 5 32 for some further confirmation. This is why it's so important that we endeavor to look at Revelation from the bird's eye view as we did in the last several weeks, to get our eyes firmly fixed on that restoration or reconciliation of his people Israel.
you remember the series we did on Hosea. We took Hosea chapter by chapter, verse by verse. The prophet of the greatest love story of the ages. We unpacked this prophet's testimony. Those, I think, are in the archives in the 200 series, 210 through 280. I'm sorry, they're not all together. You know, uh, we we took on other subjects during that period of time, and they're a little bit broken up, but I believe it's in the archives between about 210 and, and 280 in the 200 to, to 300 series anyway of fellowships. So let's close it out. Either we close it out by looking at Hosea, which that's not the end, or we reserve Hosea for next week. Let, let, um, let's, reserve, let's reserve it and let me read something really quick. It's very all right, important sure. what we're talking about. If you look in, in Black's Dictionary, okay, of law, you, you're familiar with that, aren't you? Yep, Black's Law Dictionary, yep. Okay, we look up the word race. Now, I want you to listen to this. This is the definition of a race. It says an ethical stock. We go over to ethical because everybody knows what ethical means, don't they? Relates to (laughs) manners or morals. Discourses of the epistles. Okay, we all... We all know what morals are, don't we? We've been taught about morals. The doctrine or system of moral duties, the duties of men, the conformity implies that the act must be performed by free agents from a motive of obedience to the divine will. This is the strict theological and scriptural sense of morality. Okay, so we're over here in this Black's Dictionary, and let me read on. We found out that a race is an ethical stock. We all know that stock is parentage, don't we? Correct. Okay, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because that's what you're talking about. We are the very definition of race. If we, if our morality is defined by our promise with Jacob and God's promise with Jacob, okay, I read on in the Law Dictionary. A great division of mankind having in common certain distinguishing physical peculiarities constituting a comprehensive class occurring to be derived from a distinct primitive source a tribal or national stock, a division or subdivision of one of the great racial stocks of mankind distinguished by minor peculiarities. And I assert, I insert there a moral code from God. Now we can all go look up peculiarities, but I bet it relates back to ethics and morality. What do you want to bet? Who's the father of morality? Who created uh, manners and moral and morality? Did that come from all those Chinese gods? I just 
I wanted to get that in here so that we understand this is not the same definition CBS, ABC, and NBC use every day. They play the semantic game of disguise and camouflage and play the race card. And nobody even knows what the race card is, do they, Doug? No. Except. No, it's it's as if it's it, it's as if it's our death epithet, isn't it? Yeah. You know, that, our, it, it, it's a term that's yeah, it's a term slapped on us, and yet the very termites using it, it to slap on us, those that call themselves Jews, and and others who are misguided and misdirected, um, clearly do not understand anything about the biblical racial exclusivity and again i will i I say it over and over and over again it doesn't have anything to do with one or a group or a race being better than another it simply happens to be whom god chose to be his commissioners in the creation for the duty of righteousness in it. That's it. That's the entire biblical record. You can like it or lump it. I choose to like it, and I stand firmly on it because it is the truth. Go. And and in fact, he addressed this several times about foreigners and aliens. He said, respect them, didn't he? Respect them. You were once a foreigner in Egypt. So what does that mean? That means apply justice to the foreigner, right? Isn't that what that means? Exactly. Okay, so if the foreigner is coming over here in Texas and destroying our land, we administer justice. That's not wrong. That's correct. You are supposed to administer justice. And what is justice? Shedder of innocent blood. What are these creatures doing over here? They're killing us. I live not far from the border as a crow flies. They're coming over in droves. I'm told to respect them, so I respect them. I got one bill in a house across the street. He said, I'm here to exemplify Jesus Christ, my Lord. He's a a guy from way down south. I said, how So there's good and bad. I'm still here. There's good and bad in the alien. And so you respect them as long as they're respectable. Same way with us. What did God say? He said, judge the way you want to be judged, right? Judge righteous judgment and judge. Yeah. Yeah, that's. That's the whole yep. basis of the law, isn't it? So they have convoluted and screwed up the whole system through their phony baloney semantics, changing of the word, changing of the word, redefining the word. You know what I mean? Trans. Mm-hmm. They're aggressors. They're transgressors. You don't ever hear them call that. They cross the line, don't they? The monkeypox crowd, we all know who they are. 
they cross the line. Administer justice. We don't hate them. We'd like to live. They're killing us. Okay, I'm done. Well, they certainly are, and uh, and you're seeing it. I mean, I I understand clearly, man. You you are seeing you. It's hard for you not to notice a million people. Yeah. And while not all, and not while all a million people are actually, you know, um, I guess in Texas or, you know, at any one given time, um, you can definitely tell it. I'm sure you have to be seeing the traffic that is new faces that have not been around for, you know, many years. And all of a sudden, these faces are everywhere. New language. It's everywhere. This This is Cuban. This is way South American. This is Middle Eastern. Who knows? Heavenly Father, it's hard for us not to see that you're bringing a destruction on the land. I remarked to several people, in fact, this week, I don't see how you can't bring judgment upon this land. I don't see how you can't. I don't like to relish in that thought. And wish that I would not have to have that thought. Our transgressions are heaped high. And I hear Brother Russell being invaded. No doubt being invaded. Your people having been silent, silenced or silent, or both, take your pick, while the enemy crept in unawares, or aware. Very aware. Because there are those that rule over us who are not with us and certainly are not yours. And it's abundantly clear. They seek to bring us lower and lower by our violations of your will. Father, forgive us our sin. Hear our prayers. Open your ears and be attentive once again. Turn your people's hearts back to you. And let us, as Melissa opened up, let us be voices of your remnant willing and ready to serve in the commander's army when he's ready and father it would be an honor to serve a true commander in chief the only commander in chief Father, we're in a strait. We know it. We know how we got here. 
and I repent for my people. Amen. In this country. I ask these things, Father, you would hear our voices. Know the remnant voices all over this land and other lands that you've set apart for them. There is a remnant that is awakened and is ready. Yes. So we pray that we become the tools useful to you, our commander in chief. Let these messages go wherever they will. Be a light, a guide to those you're calling. Ask it, seek it, count on it, and trust in it. In the name of the blessed, holy son of yours, our Jesus and Redeemer. Thank you, Father. Amen. Lord, and I'd like to add to that one last thing, Lord. I'd like to tell you that we are commanded to rejoice in all things. And that just, it, it's hard for us to comprehend. But the deeper matter is we must rejoice in all things, and all things God's behind. So we do rejoice that God is justice, and justice will be done. So Lord, give us the strength and courage to do the right thing daily. Daily. Knowing that your justice will be done. Thank you for it. Amen. 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 All right, brethren. You all have a good night, and we'll catch you next week. Thanks for joining. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Have a great evening. Good night, all. Y'all too. Good, good night. night.